Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hi, friends. Today we're going to talk a little bit about preparing our dogs for circumstances we might put them in. And in some ways, we can't know if they're prepared until we actually do put them in the situation. But I would really encourage everybody to be pretty sure they know before they put their dog in a situation. And the situation could range from your friends having a barbecue and you want to take your young dog to the barbecue, or it could be you want to enter your dog in an agility trial. Or it could even be that you want to take your dog on a specific hiking trail where you know there might be certain unexpected kinds of wildlife. Doing a sort of, you know, math problem to to decide whether your dog is prepared for those things is a smart thing to do. And that means that you have observed your dog's behavior in similar situations or situations that are partially like the situation that you're going to put them in. You have taught them the prerequisite skills. You know what the prerequisite skills are. And you're kind of adding all this up and seeing, you know, yes, the the probability is my dog will do well, will do fine, or will do poorly. So I would kind of look at it in those three things. Is my dog going to do well? Is my dog going to succeed? Is my dog going to be fine? Meaning, Success might not be the right word, but long-lasting damage is not going to be present, and there are enough positives to outweigh the potential fallout. And then the last one, poorly, is my dog going to do poorly? That's a flat-out failure. Something happens that has kind of a long-lasting damage to either your training or your future in that situation or the dog's psyche or somebody else. So in the case of the barbecue... A dog that would do well at the barbecue is a dog that would enjoy it. A dog that would kind of walk up to people, sniff them, wag their tail, walk to the next person, might convince somebody to throw a ball for them, might convince somebody to feed them some hot dog, is not going to be alarmed by children running around, is going to be able to lie down and relax. If a person pets them that shouldn't be petting them, they tolerate it. If somebody else's dog shows up that's unruly, that's not going to bother them too much. Or success could look like you set up your dog to be successful because you keep them attached to you on a leash and you maybe don't let people pet them who you don't think are going to be appropriate. Or when the kids start running around, you put him in your car in a crate with a bone. Or when that dog does show up that bothers your other dog, same thing, you get your dog out of the situation. So that can also look like success. That can also qualify as your dog did well. Your dog did fine might be that you maybe didn't set them up for perfect success. Some things happened to them that maybe weren't the best, but nothing bad happened. The dog didn't have any kind of outburst or need to go hide. Maybe the dog just had a little bit of minor stress and needed to remove themselves from the situation rather than you removing them for the dog. I would kind of qualify that as fine if the dog's not going to have a long-lasting distaste for gatherings like that or for people or for children or dogs. That's probably going to come down to temperament. So whether or not the dog does well or does fine is going to come down to training for sure, but also temperament. There are dogs who aren't going to be able to be in situations that they're not fully prepared for that are going to bounce back from those situations. Those dogs are highly resilient. They are kind of quote unquote 
normal and they're tolerating those kind of hard things in their environment. A dog that does poorly is going to have either long-lasting effects, so they're stressed for several days, they might have GI effects, they might have other maladaptive behaviors in the home, or they might lash out aggressively at another dog or a person or anything like that. They might chase children barking or something like that in the barbecue, or maybe they run and hide and they need to go, you know, hide in a back room and it's hard for you to convince them to come out. Like, that's a dog that's not doing well. That's a dog that's not prepared in their training and their temperament also does not set them up to be okay in that environment. In the case of, say, an agility trial, the dog that does the best is the dog that is the best trained and has a really competent handler. So if the handling is good and competent and clear and the dog fully understands the tasks and the dog's not super bothered by the environment either, you're probably gonna succeed. The dog's gonna do well. The more bothered the dog is by the environment, the more training they're gonna need and the more competent you're gonna have to be as a handler. So that is a math problem for you to do as well. If you know that this dog is gonna be challenged by the environment, they need to not be challenged by the task at hand and the agility, which means their training needs to be excellent and your handling also needs to be excellent in order for the dog to do well, to be in that success category. The dog may do fine if their training is not super adequate, but their temperament is adequate. So like one of those things needs to be there for you in order for the dog to do fine, whereas both of those things need to be there for you in order for the dog to do really well. Both of those things meaning the dog's comfort with the environment, so not necessarily temperament, but comfort with the environment itself, and the dog's training and your handling. If those things are all there, you're going to do well. You're going to be in that the dog does well category. If only one of those things is there, so the dog is maybe challenged by the environment, but the training is excellent and the handling is excellent, you're going to do fine. It's not going to be a problem. This is not going to be a net negative for you. You're going to go, you know, move on and move closer and closer to that doing well goalpost. If the training and the hand and or the handling are not adequate, then the dog's temperament needs to be excellent. The dog's comfort in that environment needs to be really, really superior in order for you to still be in that fine category. But unfortunately, what I see a lot of the time on any given agility trial weekend is a dog that is highly challenged by the environment and does not have adequate education, and maybe the handler also does not have adequate handling skills. I see this any given weekend. So I saw one dog that was very challenged by the environment, was charging and barking at things outside of the ring, found it really difficult to stay engaged with the handler, and also the handling was poor. The handling was, and this is not like a judgment call on this person, the handling was very plainly unclear. Person does not understand how to guide the dog through the course and the dog is really challenged by the environment. And so now we're having failures. We're having the dog charging at dogs or people outside the ring, charging the judge, things like that. And I'm going to call that I'm going to call that a failure and I'm going to say it's probably a net negative. It's probably not helping you do well next time. And if you are in that situation, you're going to hear people telling you the dog needs ring experience. The dog needs to keep doing it. And that's not true. That dog doesn't need ring experience because that's a bad experience that that dog is having. If the dog is not challenged by the environment and just doesn't have great training, the dog needs more training, not more ring experience. But if the dog is trained really well and kind of challenged by the environment, then that dog might need experience in the environment. I'm still going to argue that we can give them those experiences without trialing them, but I've got other podcasts on that. And in the case of, you know, maybe a hiking trail, same thing, right? If the dog 
is trained and the person is trained and the dog's temperament is good, you're probably going to be fine no matter what happens and you might even succeed. But if the dog is bothered by a lot of the people and dogs that you meet on the trail and also doesn't have the skills to pass by those dogs, you're probably going to be in that failure, that kind of last category of the dog did poorly. So this looks the same as everything else. If the dog has that adequate training and adequate exposure or understanding of that environment, everything will go well for you or at least go fine and you need one of those things at least to go fine to to have everything go fine and if neither of those things are in place things are going to go poorly so the question that I think you can ask and I came to this in a conversation I had at the agility trials so shout out to that person because I know she's a listener is ask yourself if this agility dog were a horse and I was barrel racing or doing equestrian jumping or or some sort of event like that. So not dog agility, but something kind of comparable in horses. Ask yourself whether or not it would be safe for you to get on the horse's back. Okay, so if you've got a dog that is maybe going to miss a weave pole entry, but is going to be comfortable in the environment and is generally speaking trained and you are a very competent handler slash rider, that feels pretty safe. Right, like that feels like it's okay to get on that horse's back. But I see agility dogs out there all the time that if that were a horse, somebody would be dying today because the spooking at the judge and running away or the charging at the judge or the misunderstanding of how to complete the obstacles, those would all be detrimental if you were on that thing's back. We don't think about it like that because we're not on their back, but it is their body that's going to suffer if they don't fully know what they're supposed to do. And it's their mind that's going to suffer if they're not adequately prepared to be in that environment. So if it makes sense to you to ask, if this were a horse, would I get on their back right now? Then ask that question. It might clarify a few things for you. All right, and let's dive into a few Patreon questions. The first one comes from Laura. Laura writes, resource guarding toys. Our little girl cannot lose tug of war to another dog. We play tug all the time with her, normally as a reward session during training. She has no issues with us or her release command. However, when she's tugging with another dog, she is ultra competitive. Looks like excessive growling, lunging, and biting if she loses. Side note, she's a single border collie child. So these other dogs are friends, dogs that we meet up with. A Malinois and an Aussie are two that I have to manically make sure there are no tug toys around when we meet up. Laura, thanks so much for your question and also for telling me what it looks like. I love that you said um, she's ultra competitive and then you said this is what that looks like. That really helps me to answer your question. This is number one, kind of not uncommon and not uncommon for the breed we're talking about either. And I would encourage you to continue to not have toys around when this dog is with other dogs. This shouldn't be hard for you to do because you don't live with any other dogs. So it's not like, well, there's no more toys for anybody. It is important that you simply remove that antecedent from this situation. You will get rid of the behavior by doing so. And also, if she goes a long time without practicing that behavior, she'll be less likely to do it if somebody forgets and there is a tug toy out. But if she has these opportunities to practice it, she won't. She'll slip straight back into there. So we want, we do want to be very religious about not having any toys around when she's with another dog because it's a very clear antecedent change. Now that's if she doesn't, she truly doesn't have any other problems with the other dogs. If she truly is happy with them and they're interacting and they're fine, 
then I would just get rid of the toys. And sidebar, my dogs interact with other dogs all the time. I think it's important for dogs to kind of have dog friends and be around dogs. And I do not allow tugging between dogs. It is a big fat no in my house and anywhere else. It is too big of a danger zone, in my opinion. And if your dogs play tug in your house and you're listening to this and you're going, oh God, I'm doing a bad thing. You're not. If you're not having a problem, it's not a problem. The type of dogs that I tend to have are going to lean towards this problem that Laura's describing. They do not play tug as like a fun, cute, you know, two Labradors rolling on the end of a rope toy. It is for it is to the death it is i i will win it and you will die i mean honestly it's it's too important to them it's all too important to them and the breeds that you're describing same thing too important to them so it's simply not allowed so it's kind of like it's kind of like not allowing a child to run at a swimming pool i am not saying that they shouldn't play and have a great time at swimming pools but running at the swimming pool is just too dangerous. And so your dog should have dog friends, should get to play with other dogs, should be around other dogs, and playing tug with those dogs is too dangerous. So it's off the table. And further, if I had an issue with a child who, when they get around the pool, they are too excited, they can't not run, then we would be making that environment less exciting for a while, meaning... Essentially, not as many kids, maybe one other kid who's older and can follow directions, you know, that kind of thing. Like I would I would adjust the environment to help that kid not run at the pool. And then we would slowly add back the elements that made the pool hard. And what that might look like in your dog is that maybe now she can play and there can be like sticks on the ground and she's not going to get into a tugging match with those and she's not going to fight over them. And maybe not. Maybe there needs to be nothing. Maybe around her specific Malinois or Aussie friend, there needs to be nothing. It needs to be a kind of barren environment. And then maybe around this other dog who's not going to play tug with her, there can be toys around. So stop any tugging that starts to happen by redirecting her to food. So I would basically, all dogs should be trained to eat food on cue so that you can stop them doing whatever they're doing and have them come eat. It's very simple. You just say a word and then you feed them and you do it consistently enough that they can disengage from what they're doing and come eat the thing. And you do not train it in context. You do not train it in the tugging situation. But, you know, like if this were my dogs and they were, they started to play tug, I would cue scatter. They would spit out the tug. They'd come over, they'd eat the scattered food. I'm not saying do that if that's not something you've done safely with this group of dogs before, but it's something that you can kind of teach. So it's the answer here is simple to me. Dogs should not be playing tug with other dogs, especially if they're going to be problematic about it. There isn't a way for you to teach her to simply not do this. It's basically you don't let her do it or you do let her do it and she's going to be not nice to the other dogs about it. There isn't a better option than that. So so essentially it's it's a no. It's a no. No more. No more tugging with other dogs. Not allowed. If you are certain that her tugging with you is going well, then that's fantastic. Keep doing it. But I would also be sure that you're looking critically with at your toy play to make sure that she is not experiencing conflict, giving you the toy as well. All right, next one comes from Eve. Eve writes, very excited greetings. 16-month Aussie puppy. Loud, bouncy, slithery, slidey, extended greeting behavior. She doesn't jump up anymore, but the rest of it is over the top. Alternate behaviors are beyond her. Ignoring it on the theory that not reinforced will extinguish hasn't worked. So Eve, when puppies are kind of coming unglued about greeting, they simply shouldn't be 
greeting. So if you're talking about greeting you, I'm going to get to that in a second. But usually when people are talking about this, they're talking about greeting other people. It's really important to remove the power that interaction has by simply making it stop happening. So it's not about trying to reinforce correct greeting with the greeting option, but instead just saying greeting opportunities are not here. Humans are not here for you. They're not here to say hi to you. Until the puppy matures a little bit, cares a little bit less, has fewer of these kind of coming unglued deference behaviors, and then we can kind of talk about it. It is extremely common for puppies like this to actually flip into reactive behaviors when they start to reach more sexual maturity, nine months, 11 months, simply because these these big over-the-top feelings are not coming from a place of security. They're coming from a place of insecurity. The dog might really, really love people, but they don't know what to do with themselves around people. And that can, that can flip into a more negative valence at some point. So I would not be having this puppy interact with people. It wouldn't be about trying to reinforce correct greeting because there just isn't any. No, you can't say hi to my dog. No, no, we're just going to keep moving on. And that's what I'd be doing for, for quite a long time until the dog started to exhibit more normal, less stressed, less kind of coming unglued behaviors towards people. Next one's from Lauren, who writes, relaxing in the car crate between agility trial events. My dog Obi has made huge progress in his car crate at trials with the help of crate games. When I'm away from the car, he does not pace and only occasionally whines or cries. However, he only seems to rest his head down and actually sleep when I am at the car with him. When I'm volunteering at the trial, he sits or lays down, but always head up and alert. Is this something to not worry about, or do you have advice for encouraging more fully relaxing moments in the crate so that he is getting the best rest he can? Important note is that he will also not eat food if I am away from the crate or car. Thanks, Lauren, for your question. There are some red flags here for sure. I always want to say if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. So if the dog is doing well in agility, doesn't seem to be negatively affected by this, then I wouldn't like bend over backwards and be too stressed about it. But the dog might be, and you might also not know until you actually do something about this, how much it's affecting him. So the fact that he isn't resting or eating when you're away from the car says that there's a level of stress that for me personally with my dogs, I would not be happy with and I would not be comfortable with. So I would be making changes to the car as best as I can. So like, can I park it farther away? Can I cover it? Can I cover the crate? Can I put a fan on? Can I close it up? Can I, you know, what can I do to help encourage the dog to actually rest in the car? That would be kind of the first thing that I would be thinking about. And I would be thinking about, are there other situations I can do this in so that my dog sees this as kind of a boring, normal place to be? Like, my dogs are in my car all the time. Like, they just kind of go everywhere. If I'm taking them on a hike, I might also run errands before I go on the hike. So, like, they've been bored in the car crate forever before they go on a hike, or I might run errands after the hike. Like, they're just kind of used to it. And I would also look into my program, Happy Crating. It is for sale in the classroom, which is always linked in the show notes. And I have two different levels of it. Rather than a kind of games-based training program that teaches the dog to be excited about going into the crate, I want the dog to learn to see the crate as a cue to relax, and that's what Happy Crating is about. So it sounds like The dog's doing okay, but could do better, and there are some things that you can try, and I hope this helps. Next one is from Kelly. Kelly writes, I have an almost two-year-old male Border Collie who is dog reactive. In typical Border Collie fashion, the reactivity seems to be worse 
when the dogs are moving fast or in weird ways or when they hard stare at him. Barking is a big trigger as well. When he sees a dog about 20 feet away, he locks on and will go into his border collie stock, which is extremely hard to get him out of. We do lots of pattern games, treat scatters, and look at that, which I've seen great improvement with utilizing, but I almost feel stuck with getting him out of the stalking mode. No matter the food or toy I wave in his face, he can't unlock from the dog. I try to be proactive as much as possible so he doesn't go into the stock. Just some background, he's very dog social, but he has been on exercise restriction basically since he was six months old due to bilateral shoulder surgery and hip dysplasia, so he doesn't get to be around dogs often. He just had a total hip replacement four months ago, so I'm hoping now that he is fully recovered covered proper exercise will help him immensely as well thank you love the podcast so kelly first of all huge bummer that you've been through all that orthopedic surgery with this two-year-old dog so i am so sorry that's never an ideal situation and i think it has a lot to do with what you're seeing so i would not be too stressed about trying to fix this until you can actually give this dog proper exercise it sounds like you're getting there so you should be really close to getting the dog proper exercise and that's fantastic. The only way to that I'm aware of to really get the dog out of that sticky stocky mode, I call it sticky stocky bullshit, I say that lovingly, <laughs> I love border collies, SSBS, is typically to actually physically remove them from it. They kind of can't unglue themselves from it. So if it happens, cut your losses, go like you should wear a harness that you can literally pick him up by go up pick him up turn him around walk the other way and just walk the other way until he's walking like a normal animal and not a vulture and then you can go into your patterns or your whatever to re-engage him so that you can try to pass the dog so rather than trying to ask him to get out of it get him out of it yourself. You can do that nicely, so please don't at me. I'm not saying do anything mean to him, but I am saying physically remove him from the situation. The fact that he's dog social too tells me like get get him out of this exercise restriction and get him out having some normal dog interactions because it sounds like he's probably had terribly contrived abnormal dog interactions on a leash for a really long time because he's been exercise restricted, right? So I think that before you get back into a more normal life, you are not going to change a lot about it, but you can, in that actual sticky stocky moment, physically remove him from it and keep moving him until he is walking normally and he's no longer vulturing, and then you can go into your patterns at that point. That's what I've got you for you for now. Give some of that... Su- stuff a try and you can come back over to patreon and ask me another question if you'd like you can also jump into the membership and share some things over there if you want and that's it for this week thanks everybody thanks for listening i hope you'll rate review and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast and don't forget to join patreon at patreon.com slash radio and if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here i hope you'll check out my online courses my membership and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.